Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane. He's Tom. And in our last episode, we talked about security, assessment, and authorization. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the maintenance domain under FedRAMP Moderate. But before then, Tom, we're talking about beer. What are we drinking today? We're always going to be talking about beer. So today we have something from your neighborhood. It's Rogue Hazelnut Brown Nectar Ale. And Rogue is a Portland, I believe Portland, Oregon-based brewery i've actually been sounds about right have so, you yeah they have a little uh really nice little uh sort of brewery outlet got a great outdoor seating space so i encourage sounds it delightful and most people know uh rogue by their dead guy ale so uh, this will be the first uh departure i think i've also had a stout that they create but this will be the first departure in sort of these um smaller brew batched beers so Let's, well, you let's... know, the most memorable thing I've had from Rogue is their Dead Guy Whiskey. Yeah. Uh, I think it was called Dead Guy Whiskey. It was, it is not the worst whiskey I have ever had, but it is memorably in the top 10, like worst things. Like it's, it's, it's pretty terrible, but still people around here seem to like it. So we'll have to see if this rates higher than Rogue's Whiskey, which uh, even though it's an affirmed whiskey drinker, I did not like. Are we open on this? All right. Let's open it. Doesn't have much of a nose until you pour it. Look at that color. That's got kind of the... looks like weak coffee. I was gonna say the new mortar oil. Uh, look. Fair points. Fair points. Yeah. All right. So it's. I can kind of see through it. Yeah. It's sort not, of. Kind of. It's, it's not, not uh, dark. Totally dark. Yeah. It's got a nice amber to it. Actually, I don't know if our cameras will pick that up. Yeah. Got a really dark amber look to it. Got a nice head on it. Uh, chocolate, maybe? Yeah, a little chocolate, a little vanilla. It didn't make me crinkle my nose, if anything else. So that's always a promising sign. It smells like um, if you've ever had a Christmas ale, which I suspect you have not. Reminds me of that. Mm, doesn't sound like it. Nope. It's no, got but a it's, little it's... bit of baking spice or something in there. Yeah, it's some like faint nut type thing as well. Well, that would make sense. It's supposedly got hazelnut in it. Yeah, I was thinking more like walnuts. Like, but now you're just making me think of like Christmassy things or holiday things where you'd have toasted nuts, right? So <laughs> it says it's yeah, ale, right. ale with natural hazelnut flavor. So give it a taste. Okay, well we'll have to see if it's any good, right? Oh god, that's disappointing. <laughs> I actually don't find it disappointing. This, to me, tastes like a mini nut brown ales that I've had. I was hoping for better based on the nose being inoffensive, honestly. Like this one, this one tricked me. This is, this is one that like suckered me and I was like, okay, this one might be actually not, not, uh, it tastes like beer. Uh, they're all going to taste like, like beer. like beer and hops. But uh, this, if you, if you can distinguish flavor, this definitely is different than what we've been tasting. This has definite nutty undertones to it not nearly as hoppy as ipas that we've we've tried in fact it's pretty i would say pretty neutral in the hop area if you've had christmas ales this tastes a lot like a christmas ale a little higher carbonated than um than i would have expected but yeah not a bad taste i like it mm. 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 
Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for something better, right? More than anything else. Oh, well. Um, I will think about it. I, I, I will also say it doesn't have that much of a nut taste. But then again, maybe if you don't like nuts, this is a good choice. Although with a title like Hazelnut. I definitely taste the nut. So different palettes, different tastes. Probably so. Well, let's move on to FedRamp. Um, and I want to kind of set the table for the audience here, Tom. So uh, can you start off by providing an overview of the maintenance domain under FedRamp Moderate and its significance in cloud security? Sure. Oh, two great questions. So I would, I would sort of answer the first part of that question as saying that the maintenance domain is really about who, what, when, where, uh, in terms of, of tracking what maintenance is occurring on your system components. So one thing that I wanna make clear is when you read the regulations uh, within FedRAMP, you, it's gonna make you think of only hardware maintenance. And it mm -hmm. certainly has language that predispositions you to think that way. But this really applies to software, firmware, hardware. Um, and so when you ask the question of how does it apply to uh, you know, somebody who's in the cloud, it becomes a little murky because you split those responsibilities in the cloud. So for instance, we uh, position most of our boundary on Microsoft Azure. So Microsoft Azure has responsibilities that we inherit, uh, control responsibilities that we inherit from Microsoft Azure that take up big chunks of these controls, but it doesn't leave us uh, without responsibility. So we would still have responsibility for the maintenance that occurs within the infrastructure that's provided for Microsoft on top of the software and things like that. So in our case, it's cluster and virtual storage and virtual network and those kinds of things. So it, it, and, it definitely- And so let's actually applies. talk into those. Like, let's, let's get into some of those key controls because um, you've, you've already touched on some. So uh, let's go through and see if there's any relevant questions for the key controls and requirements in maintenance that uh, we as a cloud service provider would need to meet to achieve FedRAMP moderate. Sure. I mean, there, there's just a bunch of controls there that you've got to understand. So maybe at the highest level, it's important to understand that you are tracking the activity. So it doesn't matter what the activity is, but you have to track it. So that right. means- We've talked about that one before in yep. logging everything that we're doing. Yep. So that means you have a log and you know who's, did, who's doing what at what time. And I do want to point out that it should dovetail into some of your other controls in terms of, of change management, right? So the, that's kind of the first step. The, the second step is you want to make sure you're in lockstep with um, controls around change management, for instance, because you are, uh -huh. you are deploying change into your environment when you're doing maintenance. But the next step is it predisposes that you have potentially external um, actors that are coming in to do some of the, the, the maintenance. Now, this really makes sense when you think of the physical maintenance, right? You might have an HVAC guy come in on your data center floor, for instance, and you want to make sure that that person is a known person, has an escort um, if, he's, if he's coming in uh, to where the information system might sit. Um, you want to make sure that in the case where that person is bringing parts in or diagnostic equipment in, that that diagnostic equipment and parts are vetted in some way. Um, right. So, for, for instance, there is very strict language that says you have to look at diagnostic equipment to make sure there's no malware uh, installed mm -hmm. on top of it. So those of you who uh, remember the target breach will understand why some of that is important. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and then, and then you have to demonstrate that you have monitored all, 
all of the maintenance that is occurring in your environment through every stage of it. So they're going to make you de uh, delineate out what are all of the the variables that you're going to track in terms of, of uh -huh. maintenance. So it's it's not one of the more cumbersome families of controls, but it's very specific in how you have to comply. Right, right, right. And and you've you've spun off some questions there for me. I, I kind of want to talk about evidentiary requirements and 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 patching, but it sounds like well, today I think we'll have less to talk about physical physical controls. But I want to I, I want to go back to um an earlier episode uh, and, and line and cover this. So in, in your experience, like how can an organization effectively manage these risks associated with maintenance activities? And in maintenance activities, I'm including patching and vulnerability management. Sure. So, you know, I, I would guess you have to understand that that dovetailing with configuration ma management uh, matters a lot. And so you have to go through all of the SDLC process that you would go through for configuration management, right? So you're making sure that any change you're implementing, uh, first of all, it, it either changes your base configuration and you account for that in the, in the design of the base configuration, or if it doesn't, if it just is an upgrade to an existing module that is still okay within your um, configuration, you have to still track that you make that change, what the status of that change was, and then you have to do vulnerability vetting on top of that. So once you've mm -hmm. once you've implemented some change into the environment, uh, you you scan for any new or potential vulnerabilities that have been introduced to the environment. So all of those pieces are still in play here. Certainly, they don't uh, they rely on the change management um, family of controls to totally vet it, but they're so tightly related, it's hard to talk about one without the other. Yeah, I could kind of imagine as such. So for viewers who are watching this and, and miss that on configuration management, I'd encourage you to go back and, and watch that one as well. Um, but Tom, we also, you talked a bit about physical components. So I'm going to, is it fair for me to set those aside to assume that the nice people who run the Azure data center are taking care of things like HVAC, as you said, or take care of failing hard drives? You got it. So, okay. we, you know, just to put a fine point on that, as we as we draw out the documentation uh, that we're going to provide to our, our uh, authorization organization, we're mm -hmm. clearly delineating where Microsoft Azure has responsibility and where we pick up that responsibility and take over. So yeah, anything virtual that we can do maintenance wise on software, that's on us. Okay, so let, let's talk into that. I want I want to go onto a specific control of remote maintenance. Um, that's MA four. Um, what evidence are we going to be required to demonstrate that secure connections are established and maintained for those remote maintenance activities, uh, particularly given that we're only uh, we're a remote only company? Yeah, this is really asking you do you do you connect your people in through an encrypted channel, and does that encrypted encrypted channel follow the requirements of FIPS 142, 140-2. So that's really what it's asking. So you have to demonstrate that you have that capability. So in most, in most cases, you can connect through, uh, you know, a given VPN that meets those requirements. And really for remote only companies, you should have VPNs in place for your, you know, at a minimum for your critical workers that uh, interface with the back end of the system anyway. But you're going to have to demonstrate that you have that control in place, right? So that that, and that would include proving we're using like FIPS 142 validated encryption, right? You got it. Yep. So in the case of of your encryption uh, algorithm, that's what they're going to look for. 
So you, you want to demonstrate that all users have that. You want to demonstrate that, uh, if possible, that during the, the maintenance that user was VPNed in. So that means you're going to scrape some valid uh, data from uh, from the maintenance activity or make them delineate it in, inside of the documentation that they create. So you will create a change log associated with your maintenance that uh, you can you can clearly describe uh, what activity is being performed, but also how you've connected to it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go into that just a little bit, kind of as a, a final question. Um, what are some of the artifacts or other examples of evidence that auditors are going to typically be looking for when they're assessing the effectiveness of our maintenance controls and their integration with the other controls in the FedRAMP moderate framework, like you said, with configuration management, for example? Yeah, uh, they're going to look at it holistically. So they're going to look at it and they're going to create um, cross relationships between other controls to make sure that when, for instance, you've done a maintenance that sits inside of your change management system, um, that your your maintenance uh, followed the requirements of configuration management and you haven't created drift inside your baseline configuration. So all those things are important. Mm -hmm. On, in a very myopic view of, of uh, the maintenance uh, requirements, you're going to have to create um, very specific logs of the type of maintenance that is being being done. So your change ticket associated with maintenance um, uh, activities should have very specific data built into it. Who, what, when, where, you know, all of that, all of the uh, critical data and the ultimate um, result of it and how you vetted the security. Of it. And it sounds like they'll also be asking for proofs, like we said earlier about FIPS 142 encryption of VPN connections for remote maintenance activities, as well as probably having a change ticket to prove that the user doing it had authorization to conduct that activity, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. your your I mean, if you look at change, your change management system manages most of that. So the mm -hmm. capabilities that you built out in change should should say it's authorized by the information system owner, and and security had an opportunity to review it and vet it. You bet. Okay. Well, this is definitely giving me some thoughts for some future episodes as well around the authentication and identification of those remote system users. But I think we've we've covered everything we want to today around maintenance. So let's let's talk about the beer reviews. You you liken this to motor oil um, uh, in view. It, it, <laughs> in in view, yeah. it definitely does not have it in viscosity. <laughs> but I've, I've got to ask Tom. Almost every other beer we've talked about, you said coats the tongue. Does this one coat the tongue? No, I wouldn't say it coats the tongue. Um, okay, I would goodness. say it's, it's not say just it's me thinking thin. it's a bit thin. Okay. Yeah, I, I excellent. We agree thin. on something. Um, certainly, you you said viscosity, but yeah, it it doesn't have any any particular thickness to it. I do say uh, I really taste the nut in it, so I think the the name is fitting. Give me your grade, Kane. What do you think? It's kind of a. If I was to go to a hotel, um, let me rephrase that. If I was to go to a motel, fix a cup of coffee that had been double brewed and leave it out in the sun uh, for a couple <laughs> days, I think I'd get this flavor profile. Um, it's, it's kind of like old coffee that's got a little bit of bubble in it uh, and a lot of bitterness. So not my favorite. Um, I've got to find my favorite. I'm going to give, and this one also was disappointing because I like the name. Mm. I'm going to give it a three out of 10. Okay. Well, I'm not nearly as harsh as you are. I think anybody who's been watching us knows that I prefer IPAs probably at almost any kind of beer. So this isn't something that I'm necessarily going to seek out and buy. But if it if somebody offered me a you know a free one in November, um, I'm not going to turn it down. So I, I'm going to give it a five. I'm going to say that it is a little disappointing in character, 
but um, you know, it lives up to its name and, and taste. It definitely got nutty, uh, a nutty taste to it, but it's it's a little thin for me, and lacks a little bit of character for me. You know, this is the closest we've come to on on beer reviews so far, Tom. I don't think that's you, true. I, I think three, I, you gave it a five. I think we actually didn't we. I think we scored the same on one beer. I'd have to go back and review, but I will be curious. I'm going to go back and look through the archives on that yeah. one. But with that, that's all we have for today's show. So everybody, please uh, do leave your comments below and like and subscribe for more of this content. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.